Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Kaz Bormba. Kaz is a doctor and eating disorder recovery coach based in Yorkshire. In her early teens, she developed anorexia and spent her adolescence and early 20s in various stages of illness and recovery. It wasn't until the COVID-19 lockdowns that Kaz began to use her experience to educate others about eating disorders via social media as well as working through the residual difficulties she faced. Now fully recovered, Kaz is working as a trainee psychiatrist in the NHS. He's also undergoing private accreditation as a wellness coach in order to empower others to overcome their struggles with food using a blended approach of psychotherapeutic strategies, traditional coaching and established knowledge about the biology of eating disorders. Outside of eating disorders, Kaz is a devoted cat mum, climber, hiker and punk rock enthusiast. I'm really looking forward to talking to Kaz today to hear more about her recovery journey, the ups and downs along this road and about what has helped Kaz to get to where she is today. I'm also very interested to hear more about her expertise about the biology of eating disorders and the coaching work with her clients. Let's get to the conversation. Hi Kaz and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh hi hi, thank you so much. Yeah, no, great to have you here. So Kaz, can I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yeah, so I'm Kaz Bormba. My day job is I work as a doctor, but I've got a few people who might know me from my Instagram because I've been writing about my experiences recovering from an eating disorder for the past two years. And I've also been doing some education and starting to go into coaching in recovery as well. So that's my sort of side hustle at the moment. Brilliant. Well, thanks for sharing, Kaz. And I want to just highlight to the listeners actually how valuable your content is on Instagram. I think you do incredibly informative posts all about sort of the biology and science, just incredible, incredibly valuable content. So yeah, do check that out, listeners. Yeah, thanks, Kaz, for sharing that because it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? You know, making these posts and putting them out there and all of this. Yeah, but it's sort of a labour of love. I'm a bit of a geek, so I really like the biology side of things anyway. And it's there's something really satisfying about being able to understand something that was so important to me for a long time and put that in a way that's accessible to other people because it can be a bit dry thinking about like the neuroscience and biology of eating disorders. So it's actually really satisfying when I can put it out there in a way that's accessible on Instagram. So true. Well, thank you. And I think keep sharing that valuable content because I know myself, I love your posts actually. And I don't tend to go into the science side so much. So I always really appreciate being able to kind of share your content with my followers as well. So really appreciate it. So Kaz, obviously you have your own journey um, in recovering from eating disorders. And could you sort of take us back and tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, the sort of journey you've been on? Yeah, definitely. And do jump in if I go off on a tangent, because I want to do that. So I developed anorexia when I was about 13. I just moved schools and I gone from doing really well at my sort of middle school. I felt like I was a 
big fish in a small pond to suddenly going to this school where I sort of hated it. I felt incredibly out of place. I felt really lonely and also going through puberty. I had all of those hormonal changes, didn't really know what was going on. I felt really angry and annoyed and gross all at the same time. I think it all just came to a head at once. And I'd always been a child who was aware of what they looked like. I can't remember a time when I didn't think that I was a bit bigger than my friends or a bit more awkward looking. And suddenly this change in routine going to a new school gave me this impetus to think, well, if there's nothing else in my life that I feel I can control at the moment, as as you do when you're a teenager and you feel very like the world revolves around you, I decided to finally take control of my diet in my thoughts at that time. And so it very quickly became ingrained and I very quickly went from outwardly not having any issues around food to suddenly I was in this new environment and I was known as a new girl who was really strange about food and wouldn't go to lunch. And I suppose my parents saw this shift in me really quickly and I got referred to child mental health services within about four or five months, sort of a really sudden change in my behavior and my mood. And then I got referred to CAMS and started getting treatment for anorexia. I got diagnosed with anorexia at that point. And I suppose from then on, my journey with an eating disorder was no different to lots and lots of other teenagers who were diagnosed with anorexia. I had family therapy. I had some times off school and then I went back to school and meal times were a bit of a battle, but there was nothing out of the ordinary for the next few years. I was just a bit of a standstill. I didn't really want to get better. My parents wouldn't let me get unwell. So I sort of stagnated a little bit. Throughout all that time, I'd always been like quite academic. I'd always been very conscientious. So I was sort of living this double life of I was very, very low functioning in regards to I was a 15 year old who couldn't really be trusted to make herself lunch. But I was still like going to school and trying to get the best grades I could. And I had really high aspirations for going to university, which, again, is not uncommon in people with eating disorders. And I think probably that was helpful to me in one regard because I could never let myself get really poorly with the eating disorder. It never took over so much that I stopped focusing on my external achievement. So I sort of pushed my way through GCSEs and sixth form and did really well, but I didn't have a huge amount of emotional maturity. So even if the eating disorder was sort of under control enough that I didn't get physically ill, I was very, very reactive and very, very anxious and depressed at times. And I never gave myself the space to get through that because all I was focusing on was getting the right grades and getting into university, which I did. So by the time I was 18, I felt like I was going somewhere and I felt like, well, I'm not underweight and I'm sort of got this eating disorder under control. So that's the best I can hope for. And when you've had an eating disorder for a long time, but you've never really got to the point of being very, very underweight with it maybe the focus goes off it a little bit. So my parents and family could see that I was trying really hard with my studies and just trying to move away from the eating disorder. They didn't maybe question some of the rules and remaining cognitions I had because, well, at least she's eating, at least she's not underweight, at least she's not functioning badly at school. 
so it gave the eating disorder a little bit of green card to exist in the background, sort of grumble along. So then I went to university and I was determined to put the eating disorder behind me. And I didn't identify as somebody with an eating disorder. I sort of created a new identity for myself completely away from that. But I still had a lot of rules about food and exercise. And I made sense of that in that I just thought that I was the sporty one or the healthy one. And I had lots of sort of very orthorexic rules. And I think secondary to that, I still really struggled with my emotions because I had never learned to deal with the distress of eating foods that made me feel uncomfortable. I never learned to deal with the distress of failing or not allowing myself to do well at exams or at school. And I couldn't tolerate sort of any negative emotions. So I was sort of in this really black and white stage of doing really, really well and trying really hard. And then I just become depressed for weeks or months. And this was sort of a a yo-yo that went on throughout my time at university. And then after I graduated, I still was struggling with these sort of mood swings and anxiety. But I suppose that was the time just before the COVID-19 lockdowns of maybe 2018, 2019. So I started working and I sort of realized my relationship to food still isn't okay. I think you can get away with this at university because you've got enough free time that you can sometimes give the rules space to exist. But then when I went into a full-time job, I was working as a junior doctor, I suddenly found that I didn't have the time to go to the gym or to prep my meals and count out all my macros every single day. And so without that structure, I felt really chaotic and out of control. And I started to really struggle not to lose weight again. And I was like, oh, hang on, this is a bit bizarre, really. This isn't something that I thought I was still dealing with, but really just been existing in a different form for six years. And then around the time of COVID, that was another sort of disruptive factor because the gyms closed we couldn't see our families. There was just a lot of stress and a lot of changes. And I know it affected a lot of people with eating disorders because if you have a really tightly controlled routine, any changes to that routine can knock you. So it was around that time when I started to have that realization that maybe I can do something about my relationship with food. And that was when I started to write about my experiences on Instagram, started to explore actually what does recovery mean? Recovery isn't just getting to a healthy weight and white knuckling it and trying to stay there at all costs. There's actually some other work and learning that you can do to have a freer relationship with food. And from that point, it's not been plain sailing. I had a relapse during 2020 that was really difficult. And it was probably the only time in my adult life where I was underweight and been diagnosed as having anorexia. But even that in itself was an amazing learning experience alongside all of the stuff that I was reading and like trying to work through. It was like the last hurrah for the eating disorder. And it gave me a really good understanding of what function the eating disorder served and how I can actually deal with feelings of inadequacy and feeling out of control without having to control food. So, yeah, sorry, that was an incredibly long winded recap to the present day. But yeah, so I've. I'd now say that I've done enough work that I'm no longer struggle with an eating disorder, which is something that I never thought I'd be able to get to. Mm. Thanks um, so much for sharing that, Kaz. It sounds like um, a real journey, doesn't it? And particularly in the last couple of years, it sounds like you've really got more to the roots of things and the psychological side and really understanding how it was helping you cope and perhaps finding different strategies or different ways through that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was really lucky in the last couple of years, I accessed a therapy through eating disorder services called cognitive analytic therapy. And it was primarily for the eating disorder, but I ended up spending most of the sessions talking about other things, talking about how I feel about other people, how I feel my place is in the world. And I don't know if that was the cause of eating disorder. I don't know if it's chicken and egg because when you have an eating disorder from early adolescence, a lot of the psychosocial development that most teenagers go through of feeling out of place, feeling uncomfortable, you put a halt on that. I'd never learned to have that sort of okay view of myself that you get through adolescence. So yeah, that's been a real learning curve for me. And it's still something that's ongoing, which is, I suppose everyone's still like working through things throughout their whole life. But I feel like awareness of that now, whereas some people are just sort of oblivious to all these different emotions that they feel and and get angry or get upset or drink too much and maybe don't know where that comes from. Whereas now I can realise maybe this is just that pattern of me feeling like I'm not good enough that comes up all the time and it's not necessarily the truth Mm. yeah it sounds so helpful doesn't it and I I love cognitive analytic therapy for that way that it you can look much more broadly at issues can't you like eating disorders anxiety depression self-esteem you can look at things in a much more kind of general sense in terms of like your relationships your feelings your self-care and how it all interlinks and I think these things often just do interlink, don't they? It's hard to just treat just the eating on its own. It's often so much more complex. Absolutely. That's something I found really interesting because when I first came onto Instagram, I was really taken by the recovery community and people who essentially took their recoveries into their own hands and challenged all of their fear foods and stopped weighing themselves, stopped weighing food, and sort of said that this was how they got fully recovered. And I tried that and I think that it is a vital step but for all of the biological underpinnings of eating disorders there's so much more to that they wouldn't be so they wouldn't be so insidious if it was just about food and getting out of an energy deficit that's a massive part but like any mental health problem it's like saying anxiety is cured by facing the thing you're scared of like you won't have agoraphobia if you go outside that's definitely part of the treatment but there's much more than that. You're so right. So Kaz, can I just pick up on a few things from your story? Yeah. So what I'm so interested in as well is like sort of way back in the beginning when you mm. first accessed support, obviously it was much more focused probably on weight restoration, on food, also on the family therapy. But it sounds as well at that point, you probably weren't in a motivational state where you were ready for change. And that's really tricky, isn't it? Because I think with the best will in the world, the eating disorder is helping you cope. And then everyone around you is with the best will in the world trying to get you to eat and encourage you, et cetera, et cetera. It's really tricky because of you're going to feel very done to by the world. It's probably going to bring out your rebelliousness. You're going to really be quite challenging in your relationships. And I just wonder, like looking back on all of that through your adult eyes, Do you think that was effective intervention at that point? And I'm not saying this with any judgment on any services or anything, because I think with the best will in the world, when someone's really unwell sometimes, you know, we do need to step in and be very kind of active. But I'm just wondering on your reflections and when you think back on that, 
do you think that's what you needed at that time? Wow, that is such a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. I think absolutely I'm glad that I got early intervention. I was really angry for a long time that I did get early intervention and I never sort of got the markers that the eating disorder competitiveness wanted me to get. You know, I was never admitted to hospital because of my weight or anything like that. But I'm glad that they stepped in that allowed me to continue to be in education and continue to see my friends. But I do think that the way, and I don't know if this is just my experience, I don't know if it is changed now over the last 15 years, but I felt like it was quite coercive. And for some of that, you need to be. If somebody has a mental illness that affects their behavior in a way that's harmful, yes, you need to, especially if they're a child, you need to sort of take some decisions out of their hands. But I felt like it was so much, we don't trust you, you're being manipulative if you eat, then you can go to school, then you can see your friends. If you don't eat, then you can't. And even though it probably wasn't intended this way, it felt like a judgment of me. It felt like you're naughty if you don't do these things, which obviously as a teenager made me want to do them even less because if they already Mm. thought I was naughty, I'm just going to rebel more. That sort of Help the eating disorder serve the purpose of being a way that I could rebel because I was so conscientious and I just wanted people to like me and I wanted to be good. And the eating disorder was the only way that I could not be good. And so, yeah, the way that my treatment was interpreted by my teenage self definitely fed into that. No, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think just that whole question is something I reflect on quite a lot because I think. It's a very difficult line to walk in terms of supporting someone in a motivational and empowering way, isn't it? And I think it's so easy for parents and professionals to get drawn into that very coercive, and I think you like the new Maudsley model kind of rhino Mm. presentation. And yes, like you're saying, sometimes that is needed. You know, perhaps it keeps people out of hospital, it can save lives, but at the same time, it can be so destructive content. I think particularly at that teenage age when you are wanting independence, you're wanting autonomy, you don't want to be told what to do, then it can be massively unhelpful. But yeah, then sometimes it's like, what do you do then? It's very challenging, isn't it? I think think definitely, especially for some teenagers who maybe it's hard to get that motivation internally. You do need a bit of external motivation or rules. But what I really like about sort of the approach that I see people use on social media, the approach that a lot of coaches use is that it is about meeting you where you are and thinking, well, actually, what is going to bring you a bit of joy? What is going to motivate you? Maybe that's not full recovery at this point, but if there's something that you value that can get you into a little bit of a healthier state, then that's a good place to work towards to begin with. And I feel like maybe that was what was missing when I was a teenager. Because when you were at university, it sounds like you kind of got into that role of being the sporty person, the person that exercised a lot, maybe had kind of rules around food. Was that quite a comfortable identity? Like, did you feel that it was quite validating to be that person? Yes. This was around the time when being fit, having a six pack, doing CrossFit, all of these things were quite culturally significant as well. So I fitted into it really really easily and it gave me something to be in control of because I could count calories and count steps and track my heart rate and 
track my sleep and track everything. And it was just all consuming, which is very comforting for someone who likes a lot of facts and figures and was maybe slightly better than tracking my weight and trying to lose lots of weight. But it wasn't a huge amount better because I'd still have to go out for a walk in the rain if I hadn't hit my arbitrary step goal. And I do think it was very accepted. My friends weren't particularly sporty or obsessed with the gym at university, but they just thought, oh, well, Kaz is going for her walk again. What's she like? Quirky. And looking back, it just makes me feel incredibly sad that I wasn't able to just sit down and do nothing like my peers were. Sure. I think it just really demonstrates, doesn't it? We can be in that very sort of fit, sporty, athletic place. And it's also normalised, isn't it, in our culture in a way that it's very hard to see sometimes where is the line between that being healthy and that being more disordered or compulsive or excessive? Yeah. And I think it's really hard to explain that to someone who is in that obsession, because now I'd consider myself to have a healthy and relaxed attitude to exercise. We were talking just before the podcast, I've been climbing this morning. I still like being active but I can take it or leave it if I'm feeling tired or if it's raining or if I'm busy. It doesn't change how I view myself or my outlook on the day. But when I was recovering from an eating disorder, I couldn't have that middle ground. It either had to be I am resting or I am exercising compulsively. It's really hard to appreciate the nuance of being able to do something and not be obsessed with it. At that time, do you think, did you recognize that something still wasn't quite right? I know you mentioned about finding negative emotions perhaps really difficult to tolerate and the way you controlled your feelings or partly controlled your feelings was by having this routine, this regime, you know, everything in order. Were there any alarm bells going off for you at that point or did it just feel like this was sort of normal living? I knew something wasn't right. I wasn't sure what and to be honest Throughout my late teens and early 20s, I struggled more with my mood and with self-harm. And so I was looking at everything from that perspective. So if ever I wanted to get better or access help or try to improve my like mental health, it was from the point of view of I feel anxious and depressed and I'm wanting to hurt myself. And I accessed a lot of therapy, NHS and private, trying to address that. So it wasn't that I was oblivious to stuff that was going on. But looking back now, I think that so much of my emotional instability and just general difficulties were due to the fact that I was really, really over controlled to the point of not being able to feel any emotion at all. And then suddenly it would pour out and I'd self-harm or I'd have an argument or I'd hide away from people. And also the fact that I was probably still in like a bit of a physically compromised place. I was a healthy weight, but I probably wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't allowing myself to rest. I was eating at funny times of the day. I don't think that that is really very good for your mental health. Alongside all of the difficulties I've been through as a teenager, it probably just compounded things a bit. Yeah, no, I think thank you for explaining that. And it sounds like you were saying that sort of in that interim period before you had the later kind of cat therapy that focused more sort of on eating disorder difficulties but it sounds like you were focusing more on emotions anxiety depression and do you feel like that sort of therapy you had then was that has that been really helpful as well in that overall picture of your recovery with your mental well-being and the eating disorder 
I think every therapy that I had has helped me in some way. And maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that skills that you learn in things like CBT or an acceptance and commitment therapy, or I did transactional analysis for a while as well, all of those are really useful tools for looking at the world. But I'd get so annoyed because I'd think, well, I've done this therapy and I've still got these problems. What on earth's going on? But maybe even if I was just 1% more insightful or 1% better able to tolerate emotions, that adds up over time. So looking back now, yes, they were useful. But at the time, I was just so distraught because I was thinking I'm trying so hard and I'm still finding it really hard to function. And I suppose looking back now, I now realize that part of the problem was that I was trying so hard rather than just being. And then it sounds like in 2020, although that was a bit of a crisis in some respects in terms of falling back into old sort of eating disorder patterns, it sounds like it was almost a point of breakthrough and enabling you to sort of really understand the eating disorder more in a psychological perspective and then really start to deal more with the roots of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was a really horrible time. I mean, it was difficult for everyone for different reasons. But when I was struggling with anorexia again, it probably sound really strange, but looking at it from an objective point of view, it was strange because I was seeing the effects of starvation on this sample of one, which was me. And I could also recognize that my job was really tough. I wasn't seeing my friends. My relationships with people were strained because they were all under stress as well. And there was this really, in my eyes at the time, really useful tool that I could use of distracting myself through starving. So I sort of knew I was doing that. And what the relapse really signified to me was that the eating disorder does serve a purpose, but actually it doesn't solve anything. And I was going through all the motions of starving myself and exercising too much and doing lots of eating disorder stuff. And it wasn't helping. And I think when you're in recovery and you've been in recovery for a long time, sometimes you can look back and think, oh, well, things were better when I was unwell because I had less responsibility, because I was ill and I could be in the sick role and people would take care of me. And it doesn't really work like that. There's still all the problems that you've got going on in your life. And I was able to experience that in real time and realize that I was going to have to face my real life problems sooner or later. And I just being underweight and being consumed by thoughts about food and exercise was just going to make that a whole lot harder. So it really was a catalyst to properly get better from the eating disorder. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like it was an awful, terrible time. And it was also kind of gift of awareness, wasn't it? You could almost see what you were doing. You could understand how it was kind of, in air quotes, helping you cope. But you also really begin to acknowledge, actually, this isn't really working. It's not getting me where I want to get to. And I'm going to have to face some of these problems later on. They're not just going to go away. But you're doing that all with that sort of almost that kind of bird's eye view down on yourself. Yeah. And it was obviously it's not as easy as just realizing that and changing. I was looking Mm. at myself and I was thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've got all of these things going on for you. And yet you're still doing this eating disorder nonsense. And I was almost invalidating myself thinking, well, you're choosing to do this behavior. And so it's not really a problem. And you're just going to stop anytime you like. It's not that easy. And it 
took yeah a hell of a lot of work and a lot of external help from my friends and family and my partner and services but as well as it being difficult it was also quite easy it was simple it was choosing not to do those behaviors and Kaz how was the eating disorder helping you like I know you've already kind of alluded to some of the things already obviously it wasn't helping truly Um, I don't want to kind of give the impression to any listeners that there's an effective way to cope it's a maladaptive way of coping but in the short term what did the anorexia really give you that almost provided that life raft or that safety or whatever you would call it so I think there's probably parallels between when I got ill when I was a teenager and then when I got ill during COVID so when I was a teenager I'd been really doing well at school really academically able and I felt like that was threatened I felt like maybe I wouldn't be good enough and I'd always had so much positive reinforcement from family and people at school saying oh you're smart you're doing well you're sort of quite precocious and then suddenly having this change and going through puberty and going to a different school that was all a bit uncertain and so having something to focus on and to give me a sense of achievement was really valuable and I suppose yeah this is post hoc reasoning maybe it was something completely different but that's how I make sense of it looking back now and then in COVID it was the fact that I was I suppose I was miserable maybe a bit depressed because we were all under pressure and we couldn't see people who were meaningful to us but also my job was really difficult and part of how medical training works is that you have a lot of assessments each year even after you've graduated and I was worried about these. I didn't really know where I was going to go into training. And my friends had moved away after university. And then I wasn't getting particularly good support at work with all of the pressures of COVID that the NHS was suffering. And I think the eating disorder was a way of having something else to focus on, giving me that sense of achievement when other achievements weren't so certain. I didn't know when the lockdowns would end. None of us did. And also, it was a way of escaping the anxiety, no matter how worried I was about my friends, my family, my job and the wider threats to the whole country. I could just focus on something really small, like what I was eating or what I wasn't eating. It was probably more escapism during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you're really not alone with some of the things that you've talked about there. An eating disorder is often a way, isn't it, to sort of perhaps distract or numb, get away from other problems that are going on. And in the society that we live in, if you're controlling food, controlling your body, if other things feel a bit more out of control, if you feel that you're not achieving as you want to, it can be a way to feel like, well, at least in this area, I am good enough, I am achieving. And it's very seductive, isn't it, I think, to get pulled along that road. Yeah. And so many people with eating disorders, I've noticed, have these traits of being perfectionists and holding themselves to impossibly high standards and being really, really conscientious. And that sort of sets you up to fail because you can't always achieve everything that you set out to achieve. Life gets in the way sometimes. And if you've then got the predisposition for using food as a way to cope with that, it can get very dangerous because actually it does feel quite rewarding to use food and weight as a way to control those feelings but it's not sustainable 
Okay, so obviously you had the cognitive analytic therapy and, you know, a big part of cognitive analytic therapy is stepping more into the good enough place, isn't it? Like getting away from that conditional sort of validation or over control of yourself, being able to be much more accepting, kind, encouraging towards yourself. And I guess as a recovering perfectionist, that's really challenging, isn't it? I think the good enough place can feel a bit like, well, it's just not good enough. But I guess I wonder, like, you know, are there any things that you can share with the listeners about how you are navigating to stepping more into the good enough place and letting go of being perhaps so striving or perfectionist or over controlling of yourself? Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, it's definitely a work in progress. I think one of the most useful things to me has been expanding my sort of repertoire of feelings of what I can tolerate. So it might be that I still feel inadequate or like I've done something wrong or upset somebody, but I can tolerate that feeling and I don't have to go to a coping mechanism to try and get rid of it straight away because we all have different levels of emotions. And I just happen to be someone who is quite sensitive and is more likely to feel like I've done something wrong. And that's okay. And I'm sort of accepting that now. And I don't have to strive to change things all the time. In cognitive analytic therapy, I suppose it's useful to explain that you have exits. So you have these unhelpful patterns of behavior and thoughts that you get into. And then part of the therapy is developing exits. And one of my exits is to treat myself with sort of unconditional compassion and reliability. And as somebody who is quite harsh on themselves, the unconditional compassion was a really hard role to get into. But the reliability is great because I'm like, yeah, I'm reliable. I'm really reliable. It feeds into that sort of doing good enough. But sometimes being reliable to yourself is allowing yourself to make mistakes and continuing to be kind to yourself or allowing yourself to sleep in if you're tired or allowing yourself to say no to something, even if your friends want you to say yes. So I used the traits that I already have of being hardworking and being reliable to my advantage rather than using them to my detriment, which is what we tend to do with eating disorders. We use these really dogmatic ways of thinking to harm ourselves rather than to build ourselves up. And I really like the way that you've explained that actually and how you've really been able to harness your strength in a constructive direction where you're being much kinder to yourself. And in sort of tolerating these extreme emotions, I mean, it is a challenge, isn't it? I think for all of us as humans, and particularly when we are empaths and sensitive, we do feel the world. We you know, experience it on quite a deep level. And what are some of the things that you will do now if you are feeling those intense emotions? What are some of the ways that you will really sort of take care of yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. I was talking to a friend about this this morning. I don't know how people are not sensitive, how they can just let the world brush off them. But some people are. Some people are very sensitive and some people aren't so sensitive. So for me, it goes back to that reliability. I'm not going to be really impulsive and try to fix things or try to make things right, even if I'm feeling a bit rubbish. I really like acceptance and commitment therapy and I like the metaphors that they use. So the idea of thoughts and feelings being passengers on the bus. So sometimes we'll have unpleasant thoughts and feelings and you can try to argue with them and try to kick them off your bus or you can let them direct the bus and end up going where you don't want to go. 
or you can accept that they're going to be on the bus but continue to get on with the things that are valuable to you. And so I do tend to use these sorts of metaphors quite frequently in the work I do and also with myself because sometimes you do feel like you're in a storm or being battered by these feelings that are really quite unpleasant. And I just remind myself that they are transient. They will move on and just doing something that's a little bit gentle with myself and continuing to do things that will bring me long-term happiness. That's the most important thing. Beautifully explained. And Kaz, quite a nice segue probably actually into the work you're doing or going to be doing with your own clients as a coach. Is that right? Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about this. I had coaching as part of well, as part of my recovery last year. And I found it really helpful because it was having somebody who understood what I was going through. Even when I was getting upset and crying over a cookie that I wanted to eat and that I felt guilty about, having somebody to work through that with was really helpful. Maybe away from the more deep psychological work, I actually needed a bit of help with the behaviours as well. And so I started looking into coaching and it just really fitted with everything that I want to do. I like working with people in my job in the NHS. I like helping people to work towards things that are valuable to them. I like helping them to feel empowered and make their own decisions rather than doing things to them, like we said about family therapy earlier. And so I just finished a training module with the National Centre for Eating Disorders about eating disorder practitioner work. And I'm not yet accredited as a coach, but within the next month I will be. So that's me at the moment. I'm hoping to start taking on private clients alongside my sort of part-time work in the NHS. I'm just really excited about it, to be honest. Sorry, I felt like that was a bit of a ramble. (laughs) I mean, it sounds really exciting. You know, I'm really excited for you. And it sounds like it's sort of bringing together, isn't it, all those threads and that the coaching was something that really helped you but it's something as well that perhaps really fits with how the way you want to work and you know the other skills and the training that you have and about empowering people so yeah I think it's very exciting for you Kaz. Yeah and it works quite well with the training that I did to become a doctor there is elements of motivational interviewing and questioning people's beliefs and their own traits and attributes that they can use to help themselves but it's different in that I'm not going to go in and tell somebody what's right or wrong. I'm not going to go in and say, this is the treatment you need. Coaching is very much led by the client, which is different to what I've been used to working like, but really, really exciting and interesting and quite invigorating to have people working alongside you and they are using their own impetus to flourish. It's just fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds um, brilliant, Kaz. And I think, you know, I can hear in your voice just how inspired you feel by it all. And um, I know you're going to help a lot of people with the journey you've been on and the place you're in now. I mean, you've got so much kind of insight to share and just, you know, encouragement and warmth and understanding, I guess, to really sort of support people on that journey. Oh, thank you so much. I've met so many nice people as well. So many well, nice is the wrong word. So many interesting and inspiring people through social media, through podcasts, through your podcast. In fact, it's been loads of people who I wouldn't have otherwise heard of. I think it's a really welcoming and supportive area of 
healthcare and I, I love it. Kaz, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you, find out about your coaching and all of that? So check out my Instagram. There's lots and lots and lots of spelling mistakes on all the posts, but the general science is pretty sound, I hope. So that's kaz.ule, as in casually, but spelt with a Z. And then my coaching website is kazrecoverycoaching.com. And you can send me an email via that as well. So, yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people. Lovely. Well, I'll make sure all those details has go in the show notes. Fab, thank you. So, Kaz, I just really want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's just wonderful to hear your story. And I know, you know, it's been a difficult old journey with some real ups and downs, but it's just so wonderful to hear that you are out the other side and it sounds to me as though you are really tapping into the place now where you're discovering your purpose and your joy and what makes you happy and that deeper feeling of contentment, which is, I mean, that's what we want for everyone in recovery, isn't it? You know, to actually Absolutely, not that kind yeah. of, it's way more than like eating more, although that's very essential. <laughs> it's just wonderful to hear. And I think, you know, well, I know it's going to inspire so many people listening to this conversation. Yeah, I really hope so. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Kaz's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.